So before becoming um, a sleep consultant, I worked in pharmaceuticals and medical device sales. So I have lots of doctor friends, and my um, general practitioner was a really good friend of mine, and I was telling her how I wasn't sleeping, and so she would um, prescribe me a, a bottle of Xanax. And oh, geez, okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it, it would usually last me a really long time because my sleeping issues weren't chronic. They were very situational. Whenever I was stressed, I couldn't sleep. So, you know, I would just take like a fourth of a Xanax. And then once my insomnia became really bad and I was asking her for more and more Xanax, she's like, listen, I can't do this anymore. Um, the Xanax wasn't supposed to be something that you took every single day. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. And we are talking about one of my all-time favorite topics in the world of health, and that is sleep. And the reason this is so important to me is because I know that this is an essential part of healing, and I think we all know that, right, if you're listening to a podcast like this, but it's a little more nuanced than the average person might think. I talk to a lot of people in the functional space that are still under the belief system that eight hours is eight hours, meaning that if someone just simply gets eight hours of uninterrupted sleep per night, well, it doesn't really matter when it's had. This could not be further from the truth. I am someone who was doing that whole eight hour thing from one or two in the morning until nine or 10. And it wasn't really working for me despite exercising regularly, eating super well, and being a young adult, which you would think would lead to me healing even faster if I'm doing all the right things. And certainly I got results from this, but I didn't get to where I needed to be. And then I switched this up to a 10 to 6 and started doing other things, which we'll discuss in this podcast today. And that is really what led me to getting to an optimal state of health. It was one of the last things I really got into. Not that I didn't learn other tips long term, I shouldn't say it like that. But in terms of getting my health under control, I feel like this is one of the last things I did. Everything else I just added on because, you know, it's fun and we all like learning this stuff indefinitely, even once we get better. So our guest today is Kelly Murray, and she is a sleep coach for busy and and ambitious professionals who are trying to do it all. Now, she had a previous background uh, doing big five consulting firms and as a high-performing medical device account manager and sales trainer for Fortune 500 companies. Now, she did this for more than 10 years combined with her being a mother of two, and she feels, and I agree with this, that this allows her to perfectly understand the everyday challenges busy professionals are facing today, especially when it comes to sleep. As a certified sleep like a boss coach, I wonder if that's a real certification. I think it is, actually. It just sounds funny when you word it that way. She combines physical and metaphysical know-how to help people with their insomnia using lab tests and stress-resilient techniques to deliver the best outcome possible. 
She is also a speaker and has hosted customized seminars for major corporations, including Google, LinkedIn, Baxter Health, and Chapman and Cutler LLP. She has also been featured on numerous media outlets such as WGN, Fox Chicago, NBC Chicago, The Washington Post, Monica and Andy, Burt's Bees, Babies, She Knows, and the That's Total Mom Sense uh, podcast. That's a cute name. She's also an award-winning pediatric sleep consultant. She does both adults and children, which I thought was really cool. And she has built her own successful business and team and helped over 1,000 families worldwide get back to better sleep. So we're really glad to be talking to her today. I love someone that can kind of go on both sides because the kids sleep thing is so huge. I was up to ridiculous hours in the morning. Well, night and morning, if depending on how you look at it. When I was younger, I was never falling asleep. I didn't have a TV in my room when I was younger. That wasn't until I was a teenager. And I there weren't phones yet. That wasn't a thing that people were using, not cell phones at least. And so I still had these problems and no one was really able to help me. So she can kind of serve both people here because the chances are, and I think this is why she words it as a thousand plus families that she's helped is because it's not usually just one individual in the family that's having these sleep issues. It's kind of everyone is sleeping suboptimally, and we all need to get that to optimal if we want to get to optimal health as well. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Hey there, Kelly. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we get to do this. Sleep is one of my favorite topics, and I know that's something that you're huge on. I actually, I think that this is kind of a missing link in the world of functional and natural medicine. And it's not that people in the functional world don't talk about sleep. Obviously, everyone does. But I don't think people really understand how badly it's been affected by our modern world. And, you know, just going to bed on time is not necessarily the always the answer for people. It can get a lot more complicated than that. Um, And it's so important that if you screw up the sleep, I don't care how good your diet is. I've experienced this myself. You're not going to get better. You cannot rest and restore without the sleep side. So I'm excited to eventually get into that today. But we always start off with the same question on this show, especially when it's a fellow functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner that I'm interviewing. And that's kind of just when did your health story start or what motivated you to get into this work? Because I find the vast majority either had their own health story or someone in their family or friend group kind of triggered them. So do you have your own health story? And if so, what kind of what did those symptoms look like when they started? Oh, yeah. I was definitely inspired by my own health journey. So I became a sleep consultant after my son, um, Brayden, my second, wasn't sleeping. He was just this horrible sleeper. And I've never been a great sleeper to begin with. So him not sleeping and then my sleep issues on top of that, I was absolutely miserable. But I just kind of trudged along because I thought, well, babies don't sleep and this is normal. I'm a mom. I just got to suck it up. But luckily, my um, pediatrician um, educated me in the fact that that's not the case, that um, babies can learn to sleep well, and that the fact that he wasn't sleeping well was damaging in terms of his development, that it was, um, you know, potentially causing more emotional issues, and talk to me about um, the detriments of me not getting good sleep. So I heeded his advice and decided to do what we call sleep training. And that's basically teaching him to fall asleep independently. And it solved all of our problems. And he became this wonderful sleeper. And I was then inspired to help other parents teach their children to sleep well through um, independent sleep. 
So I was doing that, you know, for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, my sleep took a turn for the worst. And I think a lot of it just had to do with the stress of running my own business and having young children and not having very good boundaries. So I was one of those types that was just working until 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. I didn't have any downtime whatsoever. And lo and behold, I developed a really bad case of insomnia where there was one week where I literally almost every night almost... I probably only got like two hours of sleep and I was absolutely miserable and I felt like this huge hypocrite. How could I tell families that um, sleep was important to their family when I wasn't even sleeping myself? So I decided to work with an adult sleep coach and um, we focused a lot on behavior changes as well as stress reduction and sleep hygiene and it worked really well for a while and then my sleep issues came back. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? I'm doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing and I'm still not sleeping. So one of my colleagues um, talked to me about another sleep consultant that was also doing functional lab testing. And she was actually doing a certification in her method. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to become certified and also help myself. So um, after taking her course and running my own labs and working with her and healing my physical health, my sleep, you know, was better than it had ever been before. And I worked with her for a couple years and was just kind of craving more information. Like I knew that there was just so much um, to learn about functional lab tests. And that's when I discovered FDN and decided to take the course myself. Very cool. Okay, so we got a lot to unpack there right away. I actually want to start with just the fact that you mentioned this whole, you know, practicing what we preach type of thing, right? Because I think some of us that get into this, myself fully included, we get so passionate about it that it's so easy to just start working these insane hours and doing all these things. And I love what you said about boundaries, because like, to me, I have to constantly remind myself of this. The proof that I am just not honoring my own boundaries is that we all have these subjective standards. So I never really go to bed past 10, but I will work sometimes literally almost every hour from six to 10. And it's kind of funny how that works, right? That the world that's somehow forcing me to work those 16 hours just magically shuts off at 10 when I want to go to bed and starts at six when I want to wake up, right? It's almost as if I'm allowing it in those 16 hours. And then I could also allow it for 12 hours if that's what I wanted to do or 10 hours, right? So we got to set those appropriate boundary, uh, boundaries and really make sure we're honoring our uh, own health with this because I've seen that definitely happen and it happened to me where my health kind of peaked and then it dipped down certainly not as bad as it was before but a little bit because I just started stacking on so much work because I was so excited about what we're doing so I, I definitely get that I always like to ask and recognize with people how did you even get into the world of functional or natural at all because normally most people don't start there even if it's for your kid and they have something going on like how did you start with that and not just go to western medicine and take a sleeping pill or something for this person oh well to be honest with you i did start with western medicine so i went to my um general practitioner who happened to be a friend so before becoming um a sleep consultant i worked in pharmaceuticals and medical device sales so i have lots of doctor friends And my um, general practitioner was a really good friend of mine, and I was telling her how I wasn't sleeping. And so she would um, prescribe me a um, a bottle of Xanax. And (laughs) yeah. And so.
so, you know, it, it would usually last me a really long time because my sleeping issues weren't chronic. They were very situational. Whenever I was stressed, I couldn't sleep. So, you know, I would just take like a fourth of a Xanax. And then once my insomnia became really bad and I was asking her for more and more Xanax, she's like, listen, I can't do this anymore. Um, the Xanax wasn't supposed to be something that you took every single day. It was just supposed to be as needed. And so she cut me off <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I guess, um, you know, can't do that anymore. That was like my quick fix. And I didn't really want to take, you know, um, sleeping pills. So that's when I decided to look into more behavioral modifications. You know, being a pediatric sleep consultant, I knew that um, behaviors can make a huge difference when it comes to your sleep. And then, like I said, it only worked for so long. And then my sleeping issues came back with a vengeance. And luckily, um, one of my colleagues knew about another sleep coach who was doing the functional testing and that it was the missing piece when it came to adult sleep coaching was the fact that um, you could meditate all day long and have perfect sleep hygiene. But if you have physical stressors that are hidden that you don't address or imbalances, you're you're still not going to get adequate sleep until you address the physical side of things. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm glad I asked that. I didn't realize that you had that kind of background in the pharmaceutical world, and especially with the the Xanax and stuff. I people that listen regularly know me all too well with this. I had anxiety for a good portion of my younger life, and that was the recommendation. And you know what? It's it's a shame because, in my opinion. Xanax is one of those drugs where Western medicine actually shines if it's used properly. I think that's a miracle drug for people, right? It works highly, it's highly effective, very quick. Um, at low doses, there's minimal side effects from it. And obviously, we don't want to be taking it long term. Now we'll start to get some problems really quick, but it can be wonderful. Um, even for me, occasionally with flying, if I haven't flown in a while, I like to use that because it helps me get back into the flow of things. I don't like flying whatsoever. And it's like weird. If I'm flying regularly, I have no problem. But if I've taken like seven months off and then I start flying again, like during the pandemic, I always need something to kind of just chill it out because the stress is so much. So if it's used appropriately like that, I think it's a wonderful thing. But especially, yeah, for sleep, if it's getting used regu uh, regularly, we both know that's not even actually good sleep, right? It might be better than what we were getting, but we're it's almost like we're sacrificing some of the sleep cycles just to get one extra, right? Because if I'm not mistaken, the benzodiazepine family suppresses REM. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And it's, you know, it's acting more as a sedative. You're not getting yeah. that natural high quality sleep. Yeah, this is what I always tell people because I'm relatively young in this space. I'm like, you know, mid-20s. And I have a lot of people that come up to me and they mean this so genuinely. They'll talk about like marijuana and stuff, right? They're like, well, marijuana helps me sleep. You know, why can't I, I use that? Like, I'm not even using it during the day. I literally just use it at night. And I say, well, that's wonderful. I'm glad that it helps you sleep. But I'm someone that used that when I was a teenager. And I, it was helping me sleep. That was true. But I actually look at it like this. If these things like Xanax or marijuana are helping you sleep, and remember, they're suppressing certain sleep cycles. So if that's happening and you feel like you're getting better sleep, it's not that those things are needed for you to get better sleep. You're missing something. Like marijuana nowadays would not help me sleep. I would feel worse than I normally do because I'm getting good sleep, right? If I took the Xanax for the plane, I do not get better sleep than I normally do. I get worse sleep because it's actually sacrificing some of those things. So if we need something, there's no shame in that, obviously, guys. 
guys, but we got to get to the root cause. We got to figure out what's going on like Kelly did and learn more about this stuff. So as you were getting into the sleep consulting, you're doing all these things and you're figuring out your own health issues. We'll kind of start with you first and then we'll get a bit more general into the topic. What did you find specifically for you were some of those hidden stressors that you talked about that were really leading um, or things that you needed to address to kind of get your sleep back on track? So it was a lot of gut dysfunction. So as I'm sure you know, Evan, um, 70% of melatonin is produced in our gut as well as GABA and serotonin, all those great neurotransmitters that help us to sleep. And I had a ton of gut dysfunction. It was a mess. And it didn't surprise me because I have celiac disease. So I wasn't surprised when my test came back looking like a Christmas tree, but I had a lot of, you know, (laughs) dysbiosis. I had H. pylori, a parasite, candida overgrowth. And then on top of that, um, I had um, high estrogen. I was estrogen dominant. Oh, geez. Okay. How, when did you get diagnosed with the celiac thing? Was that, were you lucky enough to get diagnosed with that earlier or did that take a while? So I was diagnosed probably about 15 years ago, and it was really strange because I never had any stomach issues. I would get these bumps called dermatitis herpetiformis on my (laughs) elbows and my knees. And I just thought, oh, well, you know, there's just these bumps, you know, no big deal. And I went through a very, very stressful um, period of time when I was working in pharmaceutical sales. That's a whole other story. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I... um, it flared up really bad, and I thought that it could have been the fact that I was running more. You know, whenever I'm anxious, I run, and I figured it was from sweat. So I went to a dermatologist, and she was the one who diagnosed me. She said, no, these bumps are from celiac disease. And at the time, I mean, this was 15 years ago. I've never, I'd never heard of celiac disease. Sure. And so she did a biopsy. We did a blood test. It all came back positive. And then um, I went to a, a hospital, well-known in my area, who act, they actually have a celiac department. They do tons of research in um, celiac disease and did the endoscope. And it came back, of course, you know, positive. And just the funny thing after that is um, they just told me to stop eating gluten. And I didn't really, <laughs> it wasn't really a, like a lot of education on what I needed to do to repair my gut. So I feel like that was like really the missing piece is that I wasn't taking probiotics or eating fermented foods or focusing on prebiotics and doing all those things to close those tight junctions. The celiac one is always so scary because, you know, people are trying to like remove gluten and that's fine. But then you learn about the worlds of cross-contamination and all these things. And I remember reading this study one time and I, I, I might be misquoting the numbers by just a month or two, but... I know that it's generally pretty spot on what I'm about to say. It was something along the lines of seven, only 7% of those diagnosed with celiacs actually have a healed gut 18 months after the diagnosis. How crazy is that? Because we're just not told to do the right. Well, I say we as if I have celiac. As far as I know, I don't. I'm just saying that people that get diagnosed with this are not actually told what this takes to really get to the next level with it. And then even scarier is that your story is actually so common. I'm sure you've heard this, right? Where celiacs or celiac looks like anything but digestive issues. Everyone assumes that it would be that. I know so many people being in the mental health space that their celiac disease manifested pretty much only as neurological stuff or mental health stuff. And everyone's treating that and never once looking at the fact that this person is exposed to gluten all the time. And that's really what's causing their issues. So it's a nasty little thing. I wish there was almost just a a standard 
for testing everyone for this. And I'm sure I'm being biased just because, right, I know about this one thing. I'm sure everyone would say test everyone for their specific ailment. But man, that one, if it's missed, it just causes so many issues for the people usually. So I'm glad that that was eventually found because, yeah, without that, you're never going to get the <laughs> the sleep under control or the other things under control probably. There's always going to be like a lingering subpar level of health. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It was, it was um, amazing. As soon as I went on the gluten-free diet, the bumps went away. And my energy level skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. I was always tired. And at the time I was, you know, in my 20s and thought, oh, well, you know, just kind of normal. Everyone's always tired. And I remember, too, sitting at my desk and trying to focus and having, you know, a very bad case of brain fog. And again, I thought that was normal. You know, everyone has a hard time focusing. But as soon as I um, cut the gluten out of my diet, it was like a whole new world. I had no idea that my normal was not normal. Nice. All right. Well, that's wonderful. So from a general perspective with what you do now, because you work with both adults and kids, correct? All right. Awesome. So how, like, let's talk about the approach, right? I come in, I have some sleep problems. Are there standard things that you're doing with everyone? Is it individualized? How do you typically practice? We'll break down some of that. Yeah. So it's very individualized. I have everyone fill out a questionnaire and I first, you know, really dive into their sleep hygiene. Are they sleeping in a cool, dark environment? Is there anything we can do to up-level their um, sleep sanctuary. And then I also look at their bedtime routine. You know, are they avoiding blue lights at least an hour to two hours before bed? Are they taking time to unwind? Um, What are they doing to unwind? And then I'll take a look at um, their day. What does their day look like? Are they in back-to-back meetings and not getting any rest? And a lot of times that is a big part of my client's sleep issues is that they're type A, workaholics that never take a break. And they think that all they need to do is spend 30 minutes winding down at the end of the day and they're going to sleep well. So it's really like dissecting their day and determining, okay, when can we fit in some breaks? What are some things that we can do to help downregulate their cortisol levels? And then um, I also look at their morning routine. Are they getting morning light exposure? Um, are they you know, spending time grounding themselves? So those are the basics I do with everybody. And then after that, it's really driven by the lab tests. Very cool. I love that you brought up the light stuff already because anyone that listens knows I'm super passionate about that. And that is definitely a missing part in the functional world that I keep trying to bring in here as much as possible. And I know so many others are. We, we can't ignore that. You know, if you're... You could, again, do all the diet stuff right, get to bed on time, whatever. But if you're sitting indoors all day and the first thing you see is a screen and all day you're seeing screens and artificial lights and then the last thing before bed is a screen, guys, that's just, that's junk light, right? You wouldn't eat McDonald's for every meal. Why are you getting junk light for every minute of the day? Um, And I always try to describe it to people like that because I think that makes them understand it a little better. They're like, oh yeah, I wouldn't go to McDonald's every meal or really even at all for some of us, right? I'm like, well, if you're only getting this type of light, that's junk light. You need to get the good stuff as well. Um, And I like how the 
from kind of a general perspective, the stuff that you talked about so far isn't even super complicated. We're not talking about some crazy lab test or some really expensive thing. We're talking about, hey, getting your habits right, getting your routine right, because that stuff needs to be addressed first. And what you just said about the type A personality, my gosh, first of all, that relates to like every single person that comes on this podcast. It's amazing. This isn't even just for the sleep stuff. I find this to be so true in the chronic disease space, if you'll call it that. Uh, just in general, right? And I think this is happening because, yes, do we have a bunch of terrible toxins and all this bad stuff in today's world? Of course we do. And then when we add up or add on to that, I should say, the additional stress that comes from being a type A personality, I think that's why we see these people like myself getting affected first because we already had stress from that. Then we have to deal with the modern world. Okay, you're a ticking time bomb as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it's a sleep issue. Maybe it's something else. But um, yeah, I'm still, I got to be careful with that and learn to balance it. How do you get into your client's head to help them balance that? Because I know, and I might be just uh, projecting, but I've kind of seen this universally. You know, a lot of us type A folks don't want to give that up or we feel like we're not being productive or we attach our identity to that so how do you get them in that mind state that they need to give some of this up to sleep better yeah it can be really challenging in fact i had a client today who has a high power position and when i was you know asking her so how's it going finding time to rest during the day have you been taking breaks what and her response was well i can't with my job i just can't and so it's really about trying to make some micro shifts instead of, you know, focusing on taking 30 minute breaks twice a day. I mean, that's just unrealistic for somebody who has a very demanding job. So I think if I can just first get them to take the first step, okay, well, if you can't take breaks, how about after every meeting? You breathe, do some deep breaths for a minute if you can. If you can't do a minute, How about three deep breaths? Oh, also, you have to go to the bathroom, right? Everyone has to go to the bathroom during the day. Can you commit to taking some breaths every time you go to the bathroom? And I think by just incorporating some small little um, relaxation moments into their day, they start to realize, oh, wow, I do feel better after I take a (laughs) moment to reset. And wow, that really improves my energy and my outlook. And I can tell my nervous system is back to that, you know, rest and digest parasympathetic mode. And then that motivates them to do more. Cool. And I think it's (laughs) the good news about the type A thing is if you can convince the person to get on board, they'll do it better than anyone, right? (laughs) They'll structure that in and they'll get it done. It's convincing them that it needs to get done first, that that can sometimes be the little tricky part about it. (laughs) So um, it's bittersweet working with people like myself sometimes um, in terms of the health stuff. Now, of course- It'd be hard too, because they don't think, a lot of times they don't think that they're stressed. Well, I'm not really stressed. Well, yeah, you're not emotionally stressed, but at the rate you're working, you're stressing your body. Mm -hmm. You know, think about back in the caveman days. Do you think the cavemen worked really hard eight hours a day without taking breaks? No, they probably hunted a little bit, got some food, sat by the stream, relaxed. Like working nonstop is not natural and it puts your body into that fight and flight mode. Yeah, definitely not 14, 15 hours a day, which is, I mean, it is quite common. And I try to 
I'm, I'm talking to myself a lot of times when I say this. I don't want to sound like a hypocrite to anyone that knows me. I'm, I'm always trying to get better with this. I think the way I try to relate this to myself constantly is that, you know, a lot of people like exercise, right? And exercise is a great thing. But even an Olympic athlete cannot do that 14 hours a day. And so I think what happens a lot in the health space, especially, is I love what I'm doing. That is genuine and that is true. So it's like, okay, well, this isn't work. So I'm just going to do this all the time. Well, again, I could love exercise too. That doesn't automatically mean I can just do it all day, every day. And I'm curious because this is something really new for me. I actually did a podcast on this solo uh, with getting a Fitbit or an Aura Ring. Do you ever have your clients track stuff? Because I found the objective data for me and getting my, uh, you know how like a lot of these things do readiness scores. When I was seeing my readiness score, that's what I needed to see to realize, wow, this is actually stressful on my body. Do you ever, do you utilize stuff like that at all? You know, with my clientele, I do not because they know they're not sleeping well and they're feeling it. And a lot of them have post-traumatic stress syndrome from not sleeping well. And then if you add a tracking device, it just increases their anxiety. So I like them to like listen to their body. So, okay, you got a full night's sleep last night. When you woke up, did you feel refreshed? Did you have a pretty constant stream of energy throughout the day? Well, if so, then you got good restorative sleep. So I do think it's good for people who really want to fine-tune and who are already sleeping pretty well and want to take it to the next level. But for my clients, they're so anxious about sleep to begin with that it's counterproductive. And that's something that I do work with them a lot on is their mindset when it comes to sleep and their relationship with sleep because it just perpetuates the issue because there's just such a focus on sleep and they have such a negative attitude towards sleep, which I don't blame them. I was there. But if you're constantly thinking about it and focusing on it and um, talking negatively about your sleep skills, then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Understood. And that's actually really fair. And for me, I'm not even sure how I'm going to end up using it long term. When I say new, I mean, within the last month, I just, I was feeling tired and I'm busier than ever before. And so I got this Fitbit and it does the readiness score for you. And I mean, like the first time it was able to produce one because it needs several days, it was a 16 out of 100. Now I'm traveling, I'm sleeping in a hotel, I'm speaking and stuff. And I was like, wow, I am thinking like, oh, I just need to push harder. I need to work harder. It's like, I needed those objective results to show me, dude, you are already pushing hard enough, my friend. Like your body is is paying for it right now. And then what's really cool is, you know, being in the health space as we are, it only took a matter of days of being back home before I've had scores of 99 and even 100 on my readiness score. So that's what's wonderful is I have the habits and tools in place to know what I'm doing. It's just, I actually really like this now. And for me, where I'm at, it is a good thing for me because it reminds me, okay, yes, you did what you love today. That doesn't mean that your body isn't tired from it (laughs) or that pushing harder is the answer to it. It's okay to kind of chill out. That's um, definitely okay. Now, with the lab stuff, because of course, a lot of people have heard some of the things that we're talking about before. I'd love to know what you do uh, lab-wise and even that gut stuff. We'll get into that in a little bit. So what are some common things that you're seeing on the labs that you utilize with your clients? Are there common patterns that you see with these people? Yeah, definitely. So across the board, gut dysfunction. I want to say almost 99% of my clients have H. pylori, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, that's complete. For those that don't know, I mean, that's completely 
overrepresented, right? Because it's only about what I think they say 50% of the underdeveloped world in like certain parts of Africa have it. And then it's estimated that I think like 20 to 40% here. And I've always seen since the day I joined FDN five years ago that I mean, 70 to 80% of the people I've ever worked with have it. And then you're saying this amount have the sleep thing. I think that's fascinating, especially as someone who's had sleep issues and certainly showed up for H. pylori as well. So how let's to the consumer that might be a little confused about that, or maybe they clicked on the FDN website and then they're listening to this and they're like, wait a second, a gut bacteria is causing sleep issues. Can we kind of break this down from more of a, a general perspective? How is the stuff going on in the gut leading to the issues with sleep, Kelly? So gut function is really important when it comes to sleep for multiple reasons. Number one, like we discussed earlier, your melatonin is mostly produced in your gut. Um, as well as GABA. And your gut is constantly communicating with your brain through the vagus nerve. And your gut actually has its own nervous system, all those little bacteria. And that's how they communicate to the brain. They tell the brain what's going on with your general health. So that's another reason. And then, of course, your gut is where you're digesting your food and absorbing nutrients from your food. So if you have gut dysfunction, meaning that um, your bad bacteria, your opportunistic bacteria outnumbers your good bacteria, or you have a pathogenic bacteria like H. pylori that's really not supposed to be there, or perhaps you have a parasite or yeast overgrowth, then your gut can't do all those things properly. Okay. I think that alone is just something so many people don't realize or just would not look at first with sleep. And a lot of us know about the gut and health thing. I still think gut and sleep is kind of a missing part. But remember, guys, sleep is a part of health just like anything else. What other labs are you typically utilizing? Because obviously you're using some form of stool testing. So are you doing hormones and stuff like that? Yeah. So primarily I'm running the GI map as well as the Dutch test for hormones which, um, as you know, Evan, it um, shows us our cortisol patterns, which most of my clients have abnormal cortisol patterns um, or low cortisol or high cortisol, and then um, sex hormones. A lot of my clients have issues with their sex hormones, you know, um, either they're imbalanced or too high or too low. And um, in addition to that, liver dysfunction. I see a lot of like liver issues because of livers. Um, Liver issues can cause sleep disruptions. In um, Eastern medicine, they say that like three o'clock hour, if you're waking up at that time, it's your liver because that's when your liver is working hard. So I see a lot of that on the Dutch test. Um, in addition to the Dutch, I run the hair tissue mineral analysis, um, also food sensitivities. And then last but not least, I have my clients take the metabolic, um, the metabolic typing diet test. Cool. Okay, so what are some common patterns? So just to break this down really quick for anyone interested in the FDN course side of things, um, we do not teach the Dutch in the main course. We will start with something else just to kind of introduce you. And then there's add-ons where you could take it, and, that, and those are free. They're at the end of the course. But then there's even an advanced course that you can take to learn about the Dutch. That's great. GI maps included. Food sensitivities are included. HTMA is actually something that we should be offering pretty soon as an advanced course, but we also have places that people can learn that, and certainly you can order it as an FDN. So I'm kind of curious because I, I do think a lot more people are coming in with an interest in the HTMA, the hair tissue mineral analysis. What are some patterns that you're seeing on there? Is there any common things on there? Yeah. So a lot of issues with um, magnesium dumping, 
where we really have to work on supplementing with magnesium and the other um, three minerals that are our four main minerals. So magnesium, potassium, sodium, and calcium. So a lot of imbalances there. That's really what I focus on when I work with my clients. And then in addition to that, the HTMA will tell us if there's heavy metal toxicity. I see a lot of heavy metals in my clients as well. Okay. And then the food sensitivity one, not that there's really patterns there per se, but I'm guessing that you're seeing that they're eating foods that they don't even realize that they're reacting to. And for those that don't know, of course, that's going to create a cortisol response, which is just one more stress on their body that they don't need, right? Yes. I've had some clients where they've just removed the foods that they're sensitive to, and they've seen a huge improvement with their sleep. (laughs) It's always a tough one because... The food sensitivity test is like either a complete hit or a miss. Um, It's just, I I only ever hear like one extreme or the other. And I know it's always working. I mean, if someone's having an immunological response to foods and they're eating those foods, yes, we want to remove those if at least temporarily while we uh, get things under control. But I've heard miracle stories from that test alone. Someone runs it as a standalone, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, like this guy... Uh, better or this resolved completely and then others will spend the money and be like well you know it didn't really do anything so I think it's always best to do it how you're doing it right run it in conjunction with a few uh, separate things and I hope that's a good little lesson for people out there that try to do the standalone testing I think it's always good to mix in a few different things Um, and then metabolic typing not that we need to dive too deep into that pattern wise but are you I mean obviously if you're using it you're finding huge results with that do you think that's having a big a shift in people's sleep when they get the right metabolic type down? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have one client who he swears that that is what moved the needle, was fine-tuning his macronutrients. Because if you have blood sugar dysregulation, um, and that's the nice thing about the metabolic typing diet, it focuses on eating the macronutrients that are appropriate for your metabolism. And by doing that, you're going to stabilize your blood sugar. That's going to help you sleep because whenever your blood sugar bottoms out, your body's going to produce cortisol to bring it up. And if you're on the blood sugar roller coaster during the day, it's going to happen at night too. And in the middle of the night, if your blood sugar bottoms out and you get that cortisol response, that's going to wake you up. Yeah, I don't think um, that to me, like the blood sugar one, you would think it's like more of a simple one. And I feel like this is another thing in our space where people get so deep into the labs that we forget kind of, I don't want to call it basic, but like this is important. The blood sugar thing's like one of the most important and overlooked things that I see all the time. I mean, even in the FDN course, this is talked about and somehow people kind of forget that that was thrown in there, right? It's like, no, this is a big part of the course too. Reed says right in it that people should buy a glucometer. And um, I have one at my house. I also have like a meter for blood ketones, right? I think people should be tracking that stuff all the time. I mean, if you don't get that stuff under control, there's always going to be weird little things popping up, I, I think. So outside of the labs that you're doing with people, we kind of already alluded to certain things like morning light, blue light, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'd love to dive into those tips even more in depth and anything else. Like, are there some straightforward things that you believe like everyone should be doing? Because I'm going to guess that you don't assume certain clients just shouldn't be getting morning light. Every client should be doing that, right? So could we just kind of break down for people that might not be familiar with that? Like, why would light in the morning help my sleep at night? I think some people are unaware of why that might be. Yeah, so it's something that's not well known. I feel that um, it's gaining more popularity now that Huberman is um, talking about it a lot. Do you listen to the Huberman um, podcast? 
Huberman Lamb. I'm vaguely familiar with it. I got introduced to Morning Light by like Dr. Jack Cruz about five, six years ago now. Okay, well, you have to listen to his episode two. It talks all about this. It's okay. fascinating. So he is um, uh, he is an optometrist and also a neuroscientist out of Stanford. And um, so basically, um, I learned a lot from listening to his podcast about how important light exposure is. Because in our eyes, we have neurons that are actually part of our brain. And these neurons are constantly collecting data from our environment, especially light data. And the data points that these neurons are collecting are what um, rays is, are the, is the light shining? Is it mostly blue light or more amber light? So blue light is in the morning, you know how you wake up and the sky is so bright. That's because of the blue light. And then in the evening around sunset, the rays are more amber. So that is going to cue your brain to um, keep biologic time. So um, that's one data point. The other is the direction in which the light is hitting your eyes. So is it hitting from above or is it hitting at a 45 degree angle? If you think about it, in the morning for sunrise and even in the evening sunset, the light's coming um, at your eye more at a 45 degree angle and then also the intensity so our body is expecting to see sunrise right our body is expecting to see the blue light the light coming in at the 45 degree angle it being a little bit dim and then getting more intense and that's going to tell our body that it's morning and as a result, that signal is going to tell our body to produce cortisol. So you want to have a nice cortisol response in the morning. You want your cortisol levels to rise so that they then rebound the rest of the day. Also, what that's going to do is tell your body to start producing melatonin about 13 hours later. So it's really important, if you can, to try to get that exposure within 30 minutes of waking up. And if you wake up before sunrise, I tell my clients to sit in front of a happy light and it can have a similar effect. Okay, cool. Awesome. I, I love, that's probably one of the topics I'm most passionate about spreading. I was just doing something for FDN in Vegas this weekend where I was talking about the light stuff because it's free. It's literally free. All you got to do is go outside. We all have some ability to go outside some part of the day. And it's important enough for me that if I like work with an individual nowadays. Um, and just to be clear for people, it's all local. I don't work with anyone online. So go through FDN or go through someone like Kelly. Um, I will tell them if they are not currently able to catch sunrise or anywhere even close to it, I ask them, I'm like, okay, well, what's the plan so that we can literally switch your life around to be able to do that? I don't care if it takes a year. I want to know what the plan is that we're going to be able to eventually do that because to me, not being able to ever do that is just simply not an option. This was one of the biggest things for me health wise and uh also as a cool travel hack it's one of my biggest secrets to not getting jet lag i just catch the sunrise wherever i'm at and i really never feel it i mean i just hopped three hours for the time zone and i i guarantee i will get to sleep perfectly on time tonight and i was getting to sleep perfectly on time the last several days in vegas and it's because 
I mean, is it a good idea to probably be drastically altering the sunrise time multiple hours? Probably not. I'm not saying that this has no effect on the body. I'm not ignorant. However, it does seem to almost immediately work, at least in terms of being able to get to bed at the time that you'd like to get to bed, because there is nothing worse than hopping three hours behind and then, you know, you're staying up super late. And then, of course, if you're traveling, it's probably for either vacation, so you want to do something fun the next morning, or you're doing business, so you have to be up the next morning. Morning. The last thing we want to be doing is not getting good sleep on the road. So at the very least, it's a wonderful travel hack too, <laughs> is catching that sunrise every day. Now with the light at night, I think this is a little bit more of a commonly known thing, but I still like to know how people apply this specifically for their clients. Do you recommend any type of glasses? Or are you just more of like a purist where you're like, I want abstinence? Um, you mentioned like an hour or two before bed. So what are typically the recommendations you're giving to clients? Um, I'm not asking you to give away the secret sauce, just maybe one or two things that you would tell them to do to kind of better their sleep at night and reduce that blue light. Yeah, I really customize it based on my clients. So what are they doing currently and how can we improve upon that? So a client who's really anxious, who isn't doing anything to minimize blue light, I'm not going to tell them, okay, no blue light for two hours. And I want you to wear um, blue blocker glasses that block out 95% of the light. That's going to be too extreme for them. So I like to start small. Like, okay, can you commit to avoiding screens for at least 30 minutes? Um, and even that can make a huge difference. So my clients who are already doing that say they're avoiding light for 30 to 60 minutes. And I like to take it a step further and say, okay, can we work on avoiding it for longer, maybe an hour and a half, two hours? And if you're watching television at night, can you wear blue blockers that black out 95% of the blue light? A lot of people wear um, daytime blue blockers and they think that they're doing the job at night and they're not. You need special nighttime blue blockers that have the orange um, lenses, the orange or amber or yellow lenses. And um, it should say in the product description that it blocks out at least 95% of the blue lights because that blue light is going to tell your brain that it's daytime and your body's going to want to produce cortisol and suppress melatonin. Mm-hmm. So many things, Kelly, of what you've said today just show that you're a really good coach because I love how the recommendations are customized to the individual and where they're at. I mean, admittedly, that's somewhere like I struggle, right? I'm kind of just like, hey, let's go all in and do this. And I need to remember what you're talking about more because I never started 100% with anything. I'm someone who now literally year round puts on blue light blocking glasses, the full out red ones that block, you know, all the, I get ones that actually block 99%. Um, I don't think that we can get a full hundred percent yet. I haven't seen that actually shown on a spectrometer, but I have seen some for 99. So I get those, but I put those on immediately at sunset and sometimes sunsets at 445 in the afternoon in winter where I live. And I will still do that, but it didn't start that way. Right. I started with like the UVEX glasses off Amazon. They only block like 70%. I thought I was doing the best thing in the world. And I only put them on like an hour or two before bed. And I was still going to bed at one or two in the morning at the time, (laughs) you know, so it's perfectly okay to meet someone where they're at. I certainly wasn't um, at that level that I'm at now before. And then all of a sudden over time, it gets better and better. And it's just kind of a self-fulfilling thing. I think when we see things that work in our own life, we have a tendency to want to do them more. So it's wonderful to meet someone where they're at. And then they're like, well, hey, this is working. So why would I not pursue this even more? Right? Right, right. Absolutely. Another thing you do too, Evan, have you been going outside during sunset? Yeah, I typically try to do that. I always have a window cracked. I'm a little, I am absolutely 
religious with the sunrise. I am not as religious with the sunset, but I am pretty good with that one too. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of hard because you get busy, right? Because it's around dinner time and there's a lot going on as opposed to the morning. It's a little easier to get outside. Yeah. I And I've also tested it. I mean, I there, there's no denying that that's what nature intended, right? And it's completely different than just throwing on blue light glasses. I have found for me, it seems like if I miss sunrise, it's so obvious. It's not even funny. It's slap in the face. This was not a good idea. Whereas if I just try to dim things progressively and then once sun officially sets, I put on those reds, it doesn't seem to really make a huge difference for me. Um, but I, what I need to do is give like a good 30 days to the sunset thing as well. I'd love to know what that does, especially now that I'm tracking things, right? And I finally got one of those Fitbits or eventually even if I get an aura ring and upgrade a little bit, I'd love to know what a full 30 days would look like because I've never done a full 30 days of sunset. That's for sure. Um, not in the way that I would have wanted to. So that's a great point. And then of course, just getting midday lights good as well to just constantly remind the body what time of day it actually is. Because guys, even if we're inside on the screens and we're blocking the stuff, it's still not letting our bodies know what time of day it is technically, because we are just, we are so far away from being able to mimic that thing that nature gave us the sun with our screens. I mean, we're not even close. So we got to go out for light breaks as well and remind our body, oh, hey, it's the middle of the day. Oh, hey, it's mid-afternoon. Oh, hey, it's sunset, right? (laughs) Yeah, the more time you can spend outside, the better. Especially since sunlight helps your body to produce serotonin. Serotonin Mm -hmm. is the precursor to melatonin. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So as we kind of wrap up here a little bit, I want to make sure we touch on a few things. And one is simple. Where can people find you? Because I love that you work with both kids and adults. I think especially with the kids thing, uh, there's so many people that listen to this that would really want to talk to someone like you. So where can people find you? For pediatrics, um, you can find me at kellymurraysleep.com. That's my website and also my Instagram handle. And then for adults, it's kellymurrayadultsleep.com. And that's also my Instagram handle as well. I like to separate the two because a lot of, you know, people who are focusing on their kids' sleep, they don't want to hear the adult tips and then vice versa. Fair enough. I think that's awesome that you do that. Um, And so we will have that in the show notes, of course, guys. For people that are interested in the FDN course, I'm going to spend the last like six minutes here just asking Kelly some FDN type questions. So if you feel like you got everything that you needed, then you know the links and where to find her. Uh, But I do want to ask a few quick things about FDN itself since we've kind of shifted this podcast over to the course side because that's just what people wanted. How has joining FDN and becoming a practitioner affected your business and just career with this? Because I feel like this is a fundamental part of how, like what you're doing is because of the access to the labs with FDN and stuff. So how has it positively affected you? Before um, taking the FDN course, I was working with, I was working on someone's team and she was ordering the lab tests and helping me interpret them. And I never felt a hundred percent confident when it came to consulting with my clients. Um, And I knew I wanted to take the course because I wanted to know all there was to know about the lab tests and the protocols. And once I did, everything kind of made more sense. Um, All the pieces really fit together nicely. I think that's the nice thing that Reed does is he really explains how gut dysfunction can cause hormone dysfunction and how food sensitivities can cause 
gut dysfunction, how everything is interrelated. I think that was um, like one of the biggest takeaways is that you can't just focus on healing one area because I was tempted before to just focus on the gut. Oh, well, if we heal mm-hmm. the gut, everything is going to be okay. But but that's not the case. Um, if you if it started with gut dysfunction, it's going to cause dysfunction in other parts of um, the individual's um, body and, and their system. So I think that was the, the best thing about FDN was just realizing how everything works together. Cool. And I know that if I'm not mistaken, you are a part of AFDNP, correct? I am. And I love it. I love being part of the Facebook group and going out there and asking questions. It's really just increased my confidence um, because I know that I have a whole group of practitioners that have my back and have a ton of experience. Well, yeah, you're kind of beating me to it because that was my question. Anyone that's a part of AFDNP news, uh, knows this. I mean, the community here, this is unmatched, right? And I keep having to ask people just to prove that this is actually true because what business is not going to say that their community is the best? No, FDN community is unlike anything I've ever been a part of. I'm, I, maybe there's something better out there and I don't know about it. Fair enough. But I think this is one of the most supportive groups ever. So have you found a lot of benefit, like you said, from like being a part of the community and, and kind of knowing that you can go to this group any time that you have a question that maybe you don't know the answer to or something? Absolutely. Especially being a newer FDN, you know, um, there it's, it's hard to know it all. Right. And, um, it's all about experience. So it's so nice to be able to, to, um, survey the group, to learn from their experiences with, um, situations that are similar to what I'm faced with, with my clients. Yeah, there's like someone in there who's who's done it all. And one of my favorite parts about being in that group is we have people of all ages that do FDN. I mean, early 20s now to, I mean, I've seen people go through at 60 and 70. It uh, happens actually quite frequently. It's, it's an amazing thing because this is something that just calls people. Um, but what I find really cool is that when I go in there sometimes, I have someone answering that's been in the functional space or natural space, we'll call it, longer than I've been alive. (laughs) And for them to bring that expertise and just know that they were on the front lines of this before I was even dealing with these problems because I wasn't here, that's amazing. It's encouraging. I've never found something that I couldn't get the answer to from one of those people in that group. It's just we're coming... So many backgrounds, PhDs, personal trainers, acupuncturists, doctors of all types. Um, You never know what you're going to get in there. And everyone's really passionate about what we're doing. So I I think it's wonderful. And we're, of course, glad to have you as well. Now, Kelly, I want to finish up today because we're almost at the 50-minute mark with the signature question that we ask on the Health Detective Podcast. And it's not a trick or anything, but it's always a fun one to ask. So the signature question is this. If in this case, I could give Kelly a magic wand... And you could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's literally do one thing or stop doing one thing. What is the one thing that you would get them to do for their health? That would be to stop overscheduling yourself and find time to rest. Rest during the day leads to better rest at night. All right, guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition, and a special thanks to Kelly for hopping on with us today. If you need help with sleep, you know exactly who to reach out to. Just check out the show notes, and we will have Kelly's links down there. Alternatively, though, if you're someone who is looking to actually do this work and help people with their sleep or any of the other 
thousands of chronic health issues out there, then head on over to fdntraining.com or you can go to functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. It'll send you to the same place. And when you are there, not only can you get more information about the course, but you can also click the book a call button and you will get to schedule with one of our course enrollment advisors and they answer any questions that you might have. We're really particular about who we're bringing in and we also want to make sure because there are a lot of programs out there and the program is not perfect for everyone. It's perfect for some people, but not for everyone. We really want to make sure that before you make the investment that you are the ideal person for this and that we're going to be able to meet your needs. So again, fdntraining.com, click the book a call now button and schedule with whichever advisor resonates the most with you. And I say it that way because they actually have their stories on there uh, in summary, right? So you can kind of see what they went through. And if there's someone that relates to you more than not, you can feel free to book with them. I'm looking forward to talking to you guys again soon, but until then, take care.